Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. President Biden sent a message to Vladimir Putin and the people of Ukraine in his first State of the Union address. The president also announced that the United States has entered a new phase in its fight against COVID-19. The Iowa governor offers the Republican rebuttal to Biden's State of the Union address. She emphasized issues like skyrocketing inflation and unprecedented illegal immigration. Russia hits a Holocaust memorial in Ukraine's capital and captures a city in the south, the biggest city to fall to Russian forces so far. The International Atomic Energy Agency had an emergency meeting today following Russia's control of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. President Joe Biden delivered his first State of the Union address on Tuesday night. Apart from a salute to the Ukrainian people, the COVID-19 pandemic and soaring domestic inflation also dominated his speech. Here are some of the highlights. Flanked by lawmakers on the House floor, U.S. President Joe Biden made his first State of the Union address. In the hour-long speech, the president again condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine, calling Russian leader Vladimir Putin a dictator. He thought he could roll into Ukraine and the world would roll over. Instead, he met with a wall of strength he never anticipated or imagined. He met the Ukrainian people. Biden vowed further aid to support Ukraine. That's on top of the $1 billion in direct aid already sent to the country. The president also promised that, following Canada and the European Union, the U.S. would cut off airspace to all Russian flights. And tonight, I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia and adding additional squeeze on their economy. Biden also announced that the country has reached a new moment in the fight against COVID-19, with severe cases declining and life safely returning to normal routines. His statement came just days after new CDC guidelines eased rules on mask wearing. Under the new guidelines, most Americans and most of the country can now go mask-free. And based on projections, based on projections, more of the country will reach a point across that point across the next couple of weeks. The president also spoke about the country's rising inflation rate, a figure reaching a 40-year high of 7.5 percent. One way to fight inflation is to drive down wages and make Americans poor. I think I have a better idea to fight inflation. Lower your costs, not your wages. Biden made the call for less reliance on foreign supply chains and for more cars and semiconductors to be made in America. He then urged Congress to pass measures from his Build Back Better agenda, a massive spending package that was rejected last year. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds criticized President Biden's foreign and domestic policies that was in the Republican rebuttal of his State of the Union address. Reynolds highlighted domestic issues like high gas prices, crime, and illegal immigration, and she commented on the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Reynolds focused a lot of her rebuttal on the pandemic. She said Republican governors face the virus head-on while honoring freedoms and recognizing that lockdowns and school closures came at a heavy price. They came with their own significant cost, that mandates weren't the answer. And we actually listened to the science, especially with kids in masks and kids in schools. What happened and is still happening to our children over the last two years is unconscionable. Learning loss, isolation, anxiety, depression. 
Reynolds critiqued Biden's withdrawal from Afghanistan. She said it did more than cost American lives. It emboldened the U.S.'s enemies. And the president's approach to foreign policy has consistently been too little, too late. It's time for America to once again project confidence. It's time to be decisive. It's time to lead. What's more, the country faces record inflation. The cause is debated, whether it's from pent-up demand as the country opens up and supply chain problems, but GOP critics say that the over $3 trillion in new spending from Washington has contributed to it. Reynolds said Americans outside the D.C. bubble don't want trillions more in federal spending. Thankfully, the president's agenda didn't pass because even members of his own party said enough is enough. Well, the American people share that view. Enough is enough. Reynolds also commented on crime and immigration. She alleged Democrats have refused to protect the American people. But the Biden administration has refused to secure our border. They've refused to provide the resources to stop human trafficking, to stop the staggering influx of deadly drugs coming into our neighborhoods. They've refused to protect you. The last year has seen unprecedented levels of illegal immigration, and crime has risen in several U.S. cities since Biden took office. Reynolds put some of the blame on prosecutors for not enforcing certain laws. One day after giving the State of the Union address, President Joe Biden is giving a speech in Superior, Wisconsin. That's the city with the Blatnick Bridge, which the White House says is, quote, nearing the end of its usable life. Biden is expected to talk about the bipartisan infrastructure law that will help fix roadways and other surfaces nationwide. Some of the funds from that bill are earmarked by both Wisconsin and Minnesota to repair the Blatnick Bridge. The U.S. Supreme Court might soon have its first black woman on the bench. But first, Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson will have to win over some U.S. senators. She's meeting with several today, according to a White House official. Jackson will have a chance to speak for herself when she meets with four top senators today. The two Republicans might need some persuading. I'm troubled by the combination of this slim appellate record and the intensity of Judge Jackson's far-left dark money fan club. We're not going to get down in the gutter like they did with uh, Kavanaugh. The two Democrats Jackson is meeting are already voicing support. She has issued 500 separate legal opinions. Uh, Her record is pretty well known, uh, enough so that we confirmed her for the D.C. Circuit Court just a few months ago. In choosing Judge Jackson, President Biden has hit a home run. The White House says Jackson will talk with any other senators who'd like to meet with her. Mitt Romney is taking her up on that offer. Like anyone nominated by the president of the United States, she deserves a very careful look, a very deep dive. Senator Lindsey Graham says he might not meet with Jackson. Jackson has to win over at least 50 U.S. senators to be confirmed. If she can, the nation's first black woman on the U.S. Supreme Court might be attending next year's State of the Union speech. It's day seven of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Russian forces continue hammering major Ukrainian cities. And today's Jessica Beatty has the latest. Ukraine's foreign minister said Wednesday that Kyiv is ready for a new round of talks with Moscow. Now we are ready for talks, for diplomacy, but we are not ready to accept any Russian ultimatums at all. He said Russia's demands remain the same. Earlier on Tuesday, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky said Russia would have to stop the bombing before talks could start again. 
is necessary to at least stop bombing people. Just stop the bombing and then sit down at the negotiating table. A Kremlin spokesman said a Russian delegation will be ready on Wednesday evening to resume talks with Ukrainian officials. It's not clear if Ukraine will join. The first round of talks didn't do much, though the two sides agreed to meet again. On Tuesday, Russian forces fired rockets near a TV tower in Kyiv and struck a Holocaust memorial site nearby. Ukraine's president condemned the attack. It is beyond humanity. This rocket strike proves that for many people in Russia, our Kyiv is absolutely foreign. They don't know a thing about our capital, about our history. The attack, along with stepped-up assaults on other key cities, brings the Russian invasion right into the heart of the nation. Kiev's mayor says he believes Russia is moving troops closer to the capital. It's not secret the target of Russians is capital of Ukraine. And right now we see how many forces, Russian forces, go from uh, Belarusia. We right now prepare to defend, defend our city. Meanwhile, Russia says it's captured the Ukrainian city of Kherson. It's the biggest city to fall to Russian forces so far. Russian armed forces have taken the city of Kherson under total control. Civilian infrastructure, critical infrastructure, and public transport work as usual. Kherson is the provincial capital and strategically located on Ukraine's main river, where it connects to the Black Sea. The region's governor said the city is completely surrounded by Russians. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Boeing is suspending operations in Moscow after Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The company says parts, maintenance, and technical support services have been halted. In addition, the Boeing office in Kyiv is temporarily closed as the fighting continues. The Federal Aviation Administration also confirmed President Biden's order to ban all Russian aircraft from U.S. airspace. This includes scheduled passenger, cargo, and charter flights. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has prompted an emergency meeting of the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA. Board members are discussing today the impact of Russia's actions on Ukraine's nuclear power plants. IAEA's Board of Governors is currently holding an emergency meeting on the Ukraine situation. That's after a Russian troop seized control of the radioactive waste facility at Chernobyl. There, radioactivity is still leaking from the world's worst nuclear disaster 36 years ago. Two biggest issues is one, Chernobyl is now controlled by the Russians. And the second issue is that the staff um, who, were, who were working on shift at the time that the Russians uh, took over the plant haven't it's my understanding they haven't been allowed to leave. They've had to stay on shift. The IAEA said on Saturday that the staff at Chernobyl must be allowed to continue working normally. Analysts say the site is well protected by layers of concrete and a new structural containment structure. But there are other concerns. There's a nuclear security issue in the aftermath as well. Sites which were formerly secure and had very secure fence lines. If the fence line is destroyed, then pretty much anyone could access the site. According to another expert on European security and strategy, Russian attacks may begin to intensify. The discussion to some degree is now about whether Putin would be willing to use tactical nuclear weapons against NATO forces on NATO territory. That would be a new world. The Russian invasion could have impact on four operating nuclear power plants in Ukraine. IAEA Director General Rafael Grossi expressed concern about the situation. 
He called on all parties to refrain from taking any measures that could jeopardize the safe operation of the nuclear facilities. An unidentified state actor is attacking European officials with malware. That's according to the cybersecurity firm Proofpoint. This is apparently an attempt to sabotage efforts to aid refugees in Ukraine. Proofpoint did not identify the country behind the attack, but it noted similarities between the attack and activities carried out by a hacking group called Ghostwriter. The group had previously worked for the benefit of Belarus. The Belarusian embassy in London did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Belarusian military hackers have previously targeted the email addresses of Ukrainian military personnel. But with more Ukrainians pouring into Central European countries, researchers say the next phase of these attacks could be targeting European officials. That's to obtain information about the movement of funds, materials, and people within NATO member countries. The conflict in Ukraine has global oil markets in deepening turmoil. As fighting escalated, crude prices soared past $110 per barrel. At one point Wednesday, they hit highs not seen since mid-2014. The surge comes as traders seek alternatives to Russian oil, which normally account for about 8% of global supply. Western powers have yet to put any direct sanctions on the country's energy exports, but traders in New York and elsewhere say they're shunning Russian oil. Energy trade has also been complicated by sanctions on Russian banks. Finding alternative sources won't be easy, though, as supplies of crude were already tight even before the Ukraine crisis. Now OPEC may be helping. The oil producers group is expected to increase supply by 400,000 barrels per day. ExxonMobil pledged to leave its last remaining oil and gas project in Russia. Exxon is America's largest oil company. In addition to discontinuing the Shakalin One project, the energy giant also said it won't invest in new developments in the oil-rich country. The move puts Exxon in line with a growing list of energy companies announcing their intention to leave Russia amid Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. BP and Shell have also announced their intention to pull out of Russia. Other Western countries, including Apple, companies including Apple, Ford, and General Motors, have also distanced themselves from Moscow recently. The 40-mile Russian convoy is reportedly having trouble reaching Ukraine's capital, Kyiv. Troops are running out of food and gas. A research associate for Russia and Eurasia at the Heritage Foundation weighs in on this. Alex Morachek, Alexis Morachek warns that Russia may attempt to assassinate Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, if they make it there. And she gives us her perspective on how the Russian people are viewing the situation. I think right now um, a lot of them are, are saying we don't want war. And a lot of them are going out onto the streets to protest, but they're being arrested. And so we're not seeing as many videos of Russians going out to protest now, um, just because a lot have already been arrested. But And also, you know, of course, they're afraid to be arrested, and there's not a true democracy in Russia. But I think a lot of them don't want war, and, you know, we could even see the potential for a coup to happen in Moscow and for Putin to be overthrown. I mean, this would be, I think, the craziest scenario to happen, but I I think we can't completely rule it out. Ukrainian intel is suggesting this. Do you think Belarus is going to step in and join Russia in this invasion? I think absolutely. Lukashenko and Putin are very close. Um, Belarus and Russia have a union state agreement that has been in place since the late 1990s. And so Belarus and Russia are almost one and the same. 
And even a few weeks ago, Russia was stationing 30,000 Russian troops in Belarus. And these troops were, are being used in the invasion. Um, they've already taken over the Chernobyl reactor um, in the north of Ukraine, which is close to the Belarusian border. And so absolutely, I think that in the coming days and weeks to come, Belarus will be very involved in this situation. And the U.S. has to take into account that, that Belarus is part of it. And I think that we should also be sanctioning Belarus in addition to Russia. What does this mean for American citizens? This whole situation means that, you know, gas prices will probably continue to rise. Inflation will probably continue to rise. We'll see the world economy be affected. Um, I think that you, Americans really need to care about the situation because here in the U.S., we care about our own borders and the safety and security of our nation. And as a result, you know, we need to care about Ukraine's safety and security because a safe and prosperous United States means a safe and prosperous Ukraine. And Ukraine is also one of our partners. It's a partner of NATO. And so we need to be supporting it in every way that we can in this situation. Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko has said his country will not join Russia in its assault on Ukraine. However, he did say Belarusian troops could be used in operations against Ukraine if need be. Ordinary Ukrainians are taking up arms in defending their country against Russian forces. They say they are willing to fight for their homeland and their cities. Let's hear from some of them. A Ukrainian couple got married on the first day of Russia's invasion, and now they are spending their honeymoon fighting for their homeland. They were initially planning to get married in May, but when Russia invaded, they rushed to tie the knot and join the war effort. People in this country always want to be free, and uh, this people is ready for to fight for their for their freedom. The husband was born in Lviv in western Ukraine, and the wife is from Kyiv. They say no one there is saying that they will lose or is crying, and that everyone there believes they will win. You know, this is our land. We love in our land. Case. We love our city. I have to protect it. The couple calls on countries to support Ukraine with funds and weapons. They say they hope to be able to gather with family and friends when the war ends. The war so far is tearing apart many Ukrainian families. Authorities have ordered male citizens aged 18 to 60 to stay in the country and fight Russian forces. The United Nations Children's Fund says that thousands of children in Ukraine are at risk of dying from the conflict, and many children would suffer trauma from the fighting. That's part of that. We're going to see more children separated from families, more fathers handing children across the border guards in Poland. There are tens of thousands of children in orphanages in, in Ukraine. Around half a million Ukrainians, mostly women and children, have fled to neighboring countries. About 1,000 of them went to Greece, but not all of them plan to stay. A 35-year-old woman says she went to Greece only to deliver her 7-year-old daughter to her mother. She will go back to join the war effort. Uh, I brought here a child and I want to go back. Uh, Ukrainian people won't give up. Ukrainian people fight. 
Meanwhile, inside Ukraine, citizens are lining up for hours to buy rifles and shotguns at gun shops. Police say they've simplified the process of buying firearms. And in Lviv, men of fighting age are also lining up outside a recruitment center to join the local civil defense force. The defense force says they welcome anyone aged 18 to 60. Apple says it's stopping sales of iPhones and other products in Russia. It's now on the list of major U.S. companies who are shunning the country after President Vladimir Putin ordered the invasion of Ukraine. Fellow tech giant Google dropped Russian state publishers from its news. Ford told its Russian manufacturing partner it was suspending operations in the country. And Harley-Davidson halted its businesses in Russia and stopped all shipments of bikes there. The steady drumbeat of companies taking a stance against Russia increased as rockets struck major cities in Ukraine. Nike also made merchandise purchases on its website and app unavailable in the country and said it cannot guarantee delivery of goods. The global reaction has isolated Russia financially. Its central bank is hamstrung by sanctions and major banks are shut out of the international payment system. Texas opens the U.S. primary election season with wins for Republican Governor Greg Abbott and Democrat challenger Beto O'Rourke. They will face off for Texas governor in the general election. Abbott and O'Rourke easily won their respective parties' nominations. Abbott is now a commanding position as he seeks a third term. He begins his campaign run with more than $50 million, and he's campaigning on an agenda that appeals to America's largest Republican state. After the primary win, Abbott told supporters that Republicans sent a message. His campaign says that they want to keep Texas on a path of opportunity like Governor Abbott has provided over the past eight years. Abbott also spoke about education and Republican support for law enforcement. O'Rourke criticized Abbott on several points at a primary watch party. He spoke about Abbott's handling of last winter's power outages, rising energy costs, the quality of education in the state, and gun violence. The New York State Republican Party nominates Congressman Lee Zeldin for governor. And they're also nominating Allison Esposito for lieutenant governor. It's the second day of the party's two-day convention. Zeldin was the first nominee to talk about the city firing employees who aren't vaccinated. He says these people should get their jobs back and with back pay. And there was a lot of talk of Zeldin's and Esposito's service before politics. Zeldin was a captain in the U.S. Army during the Iraq War and Espetito was a deputy inspector in the NYPD. Zeldin is now a lieutenant colonel in the Army Reserves, and other hopefuls for governor include Andrew Giuliani, Harry Wilson, and Rob Astorino. Giuliani is the son of former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. He is elder Giuliani, is in attendance, but did not speak. The New York primaries are set for June 28th. Major League Baseball canceled the start of the regular season with players and owners failing to reach a labor deal by Tuesday's deadline. It will mark the first missed games due to a dispute since the players' strike of 1994-95. Key issues at stake are service time toward free agency, expanding playoffs to bring in more cash, luxury tax, and a salary floor. The 2022 season opening day was scheduled for the end of this month. MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred told a news conference the clubs and our owners fully understand just how important it is to our millions of fans that we get the game on the field as soon as possible. We want to bargain and we want an agreement with the Players Association as quickly as possible. 
A handful of players criticized Manfred and the owners on social media after he spoke. The players' union head, Tony Clark, said it was a sad day for the players, fans, and the game, and called the lockout the ultimate economic weapon to use against the players. The players' union unanimously rejected MLB's last offer just before the deadline. State police said a tractor-trailer veered off the road and plunged into a river in Massachusetts on Saturday. The truck went down a long embankment near an exit from Interstate 95 to the Massachusetts Turnpike at around noon and ended up in the Charles River. Police say the driver can't swim. He was found standing on top of his truck when first responders arrived. Members of the Weston Fire Department brought the driver to safety. He was later taken to a hospital in Boston. Authorities say the driver was conscious and alert and didn't appear to sustain any injuries. State police told the Boston Herald the truck had been carrying mail. It's not clear if it was an official U.S. Postal Service truck or one operated by a contractor. The Newton Fire Department advised drivers to avoid the area as the state police dive team assisted in the removal of the truck from the river. A family's last-minute decision to leave their home after smelling gas likely saved their lives. The home in O'Fallon, Missouri exploded Tuesday afternoon. You can see the powerful blast in this video. No one was hurt. The home is a total loss with only foundation remaining. Officials say the explosion happened after a contractor was digging in the neighborhood and hit a gas line. The blast damaged other houses in the neighborhood and left several customers without gas service. America's newest weather satellite blasted off Tuesday to improve wildfire and flood forecasting across the western half of the country. It's the replacement for a satellite launched exactly four years ago, which ended up with a cooling line blockage that hindered its main camera. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration says the new model is redesigned to avoid this problem. It will be dubbed GOES-18 after reaching an equatorial orbit 22,000 miles up. The first images should come next year, following months of testing. This is the third in a nearly $12 billion series of four weather satellites that are among the most advanced ever built. The costs include 30 years of operation. The first soared in 2016 to track Atlantic hurricanes and other East Coast weather, while the second lifted off March 1, 2018. The fourth is set to launch in 2024. Still to come, a 20-foot giant puppet porcupine emerges at a Los Angeles park. The puppet was built by the same people who make the Muppets. Stay tuned to find out more. A massive puppet porcupine was unveiled in Los Angeles in front of hundreds of screaming schoolchildren. It was conceived by the Muppets creators at Jim Henson's Creature Shop. Percy the Puppet Porcupine was unveiled to mark the opening of the Wildlife Explorers Base Camp at the San Diego Zoo. The creative supervisors of Jim Henson's Creature Shop says the puppet is about 20 foot by 20 foot and took thousands of hours to make. He says making each of its 2,000 quills and applying them to the puppet took a lot of time. He says his team tried to capture the cuteness of a real porcupine and make it big. 
and he says it's one of the biggest animal puppets his team has ever made. Animal handlers from the San Diego Zoo also showed kids a real porcupine. The People's Convoy started in California almost a week ago. They're protesting pandemic mandates and restrictions. Now they're a few days away from arriving in Washington, D.C. They held a rally in Missouri, and NTD's Jason Perry was on the scene. This is the People's Convoy, and even though the trucks might have started it, it's the American people that are going to finish it. People in Missouri gathered in front of a truck stop in the city of Cuba in support of the People's Convoy. This gentleman is a single father of a two-year-old. He was a pizza deliverer for 22 years until he lost his job in November because of the vaccine mandate. His religious exemption was denied. They didn't give me anything uh, besides just uh, have a good day and uh, just a piece of paper that said, uh, hey, go home. You know, and uh, it's really sad, you know, that uh, our uh, country has come to this um, just because somebody has a religious belief. There's no way that people should be losing their jobs if they don't get the vaccine. Um, there's no way that religious exemptions should be denied without accommodation. There's no reason. These mandates that people don't want to comply with, you shouldn't have to comply with them. You know, being an American, that's what it's all about. The organizer of the People's Convoy said he got the idea from the Canadian protests. He said for anyone who can't participate in the convoy but wants to follow along can visit thepeoplesconvoy.org. I've been greatly encouraged by how many people actually do care about liberty. Uh, it's, it's incredible how much the convoy has grown and I'm having a hard time fathoming it and seeing all the people on the overpasses and lining the roads, it's just incredible. Now that the rally is over, a lot of people have stayed and they're hanging out and getting to know each other. And now they say they're coming together for freedom. And the next stop is Indianapolis, Indiana. Jason Perry, NTD News, Missouri. And the convoy is meeting with an outpouring of support as it makes its way to the Capitol. Highway overpasses have become a popular spot for supporters to gather. Some are driving from miles away just to cheer the convoy on as it passes by. NTD's Jason Perry speaks with supporters in Missouri. The People's Convoy is now going through St. Clair, Missouri. And as you can see, lots of people are out here with American flags showing their support for the truckers. Some people drove for several hours just to get to this bridge and to wave at the truckers driving by. The crowds in Missouri were just as big as the groups in Oklahoma and Texas. We need to get something done about the high fuel prices and these roads, you know, this is this and, and these mandate stuff. We don't need none of this mandate stuff. If people want the vax, go get it, but don't force other people to do it. That's why we're out here. This gentleman here is the owner of this truck. He, like a number of supporters, has more grievances than just vaccine mandates and pandemic restrictions. And why did you want to bring your truck out here today? Uh, just to show patriotism for the truckers. The truckers definitely need a break. Everybody needs a break. Uh, fuel's outrageous. You know, there's, they're trying to muzzle everybody. Biden's probably the worst president I've ever known in history, even studied in high school. It's, it's just ridiculous. Um, there needs to be a lot of changes. It's going to take a long way to get back to where we was. So why did you want to come out here today? Just show our support for the truckers and that we support freedom in the USA. Makes me feel great for living in a country where we got the freedom to do this. I've been to other countries, you know, the Philippines and, 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 and Thailand and places like that. They don't have the freedom we got here. And the reason we got it is because of our Constitution and our guns. 
We're using this as a homeschool day to learn about patriotism and standing up for the freedoms that our forefathers uh, fought about. We're learning that in first grade and fourth grade, so um, it's kind of seeing firsthand um, what our forefathers and our patriots have just fought for. I just think it's great that we're getting back into a united nation and, and showing our support, whether which aisle you're on or you know which side you support. It's, it's nice to see people getting united again. Now that the People's Convoy has passed through, lots of people have left, but others are still staying. And cars that are driving by continue to honk in their support for the truckers. Jason Perry, NTD News, Missouri. Mexico's Navy said it seized nearly 2,500 pounds of alleged cocaine last week. This on the coast of Chiapas, near the Guatemalan border. Footage from February 19th shows Navy boats and personnel securing more than a dozen bags floating at sea near Puerto Chiapas. During the seizure, they also secured two boats and detained seven suspects. That's according to a written statement from the Mexican Navy. The suspects and the objects were handed over to the local authorities. A delegation sent by President Biden met with the president of Taiwan. The leader of the delegation said the U.S. stands firm behind its commitments to Taiwan and allies in the region. Currently, China's military threat to the Taiwan Strait and the region is continually increasing. Whether it is suppressing Taiwan's international space or creating divisions in Taiwan and attacking our people by engaging in cognitive warfare and spreading disinformation, these actions have not stopped for even one day. Despite that, the Taiwanese people has never given up. The United States will continue to oppose any unilateral changes to the status quo and will continue to support a peaceful resolution of cross-strait issues, consistent with the wishes and best interests of the people of Taiwan. I do hope by being here with you, we can reassure you and your people, as well as our allies and partners in the region, that the United States stands firm behind its commitments. Tsai said the U.S. visit demonstrates the rock-solid ties between Taiwan and the United States and highlights the island's role in regional and global security. The trip takes place while the war in Ukraine is being closely followed in Taiwan. Taiwan is on alert in case Beijing tries to use Ukraine as a distraction to make a move on the island. Beijing has vowed to bring the island under its control by force if necessary. It has increased military and political pressure against Taiwan to try and force the island to accept Beijing's communist rule. Taiwan has vowed to defend itself if attacked. Meanwhile, former U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo arrived in Taiwan. He says he's been looking forward to coming to visit with the people of Taiwan for a very long time. President Tsai Ing-wen will meet with Pompeo tomorrow. Tsai will give a Pompeo a presidential award, the Order of the Brilliant Star with Grand Cordon which, according to the presidential office, is a token of virtue. China doesn't seem to be following the West in sanctioning Russia. Gazprom, Russia's state-owned and largest natural gas company, is planning a substantial pipeline deal with China. The deal is potentially the two countries' biggest ever. Entity's Don Ma has the story. Details of the pipeline's construction were discussed yesterday amid the ongoing Ukraine invasion. And if Russia reaches an agreement with China, the pipeline could carry as much as 1.8 trillion cubic feet of natural gas to China per year. 
So having this steady supply of natural gas, um, this will continue to power China's manufacturing sector. And that makes it attractive for Western companies to move their, their manufacturing plants there. And then it also creates a greater reliance on China for goods and for services. This move comes in contrast to some Western countries' actions against Russia. Germany halted certification of the Nord Stream 2 Russian natural gas pipeline. And for China, Russia is its third biggest gas supplier, meeting about 5% of Chinese demand. China already has a 30-year, $400 billion uh, natural gas uh, uh, supply contract with, with uh, various entities in Russia. Uh, and so this is just expanding upon that. And for China, it's a, it's a question of just having enough energy to fuel their economy, right? Economists say that China isn't too worried about the geopolitics of working with Russia amid the Ukraine invasion. China is more concerned about its own economy. Uh, China's not really worried about uh, distancing itself from Russia in a geopolitical sense. So for them, this is just the economic decision moving forward for them to do that. And I think as long as China is able to get a steady supply of oil and gas from Russia, they'll cooperate with Russia. Energy expert Daniel Turner says China's relationship with Russia is not built on trust, but on profitability. And those types of relationships may not last. Don Ma, NTD News. Russia is China's number two oil supplier, supplying about one-sixth of its imports. It's China's number two coal supplier as of 2021. Last month, just before the Beijing Winter Olympics, China and Russia signed oil and gas deals worth an estimated $117 billion. Train operator Eurostar is offering free tickets to Ukrainian nationals traveling from any Eurostar station to the United Kingdom. A valid UK visa, along with a passport, will be required to obtain the ticket, according to a statement issued Wednesday. The statement says, quote, the UK government is regularly reviewing the criteria for Ukrainian refugees to enter the UK, so we would strongly recommend contacting the British Embassy or checking the UK government website for the latest information. Coming up, the weeks-long anti-vaccine mandate protest in New Zealand came to an end amid clashes with police leading to several fires near the country's parliament building. And at this year's Mobile World Congress in Barcelona, two new pieces of music technology are on display. One teaches users how to play an instrument, while another allows them to create music out of thin air. All that and more here in NTD News. Officials confirm a cargo ship carrying thousands of vehicles has now sunk into the Atlantic Ocean. The ship caught fire near Portugal's Azores collection of islands. The Portuguese Navy confirmed on social media that the ship known as the Felicity Ace sunk outside the Azores. Naval officials say the ocean depth is about 10,000 feet in that area. The merchant ship was on its way to the United States from Germany. It was carrying about 4,000 cars. There were reports saying the ship was also carrying electric vehicles. A spokesperson for the vessel's operator told Bloomberg the weather was rough, but the ship's sinking was a surprise. The Portuguese Navy says the ship left behind debris and a small patch of oily waste. 
The site is now being monitored by Portuguese and EU environmental agencies. The ship first caught fire on February 16th. The cause of the blaze remains unclear. Several fires broke out today in New Zealand, just a few steps away from the country's parliament building. This comes after anti-vaccine mandate protesters clashed with police. New Zealand police ended the protests, dismantling a camp outside parliament, towing vehicles, and arresting dozens of people. Footage shows smoke rising from protesters' camps outside parliament building. While some protesters packed up their tents and left, others resisted and threw objects at the officers. Police used sponge bullets to drive off the remaining protesters. They eventually took control of the streets around parliament and chased away the remaining protesters. Similar protests have been taking place in the capital for the past three weeks. New Zealand's prime minister condemned the act at a news conference, calling it an attack on the parliament and on values. Farmers in northwest Queensland, Australia, are taking to the skies. A new flying school is offering local pilot training, saving time and money for farmers who need to travel huge distances. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. Airborne in Queensland's northwest, these farmers are learning new skills in a remote part of Australia. There's very few flying schools out here, but the demand for flight training and flying in general is very, very high. Colin Burnett is used to driving great distances from his cattle property near Julia Creek, but that's all about to change. I'm driving uh, 60, 70,000 k a year in my car, so it'll, it'll cut that in half or more. That's around 40,000 miles. Burnett is part of the first cohort at the new Cloncurry Flying School, where students can obtain a commercial or private pilot's license. It's awesome, yeah, it's only a couple of hours from home. Uh, most people have downtime in the wet season, and we, yeah, we can just come here. Before, learning to fly meant traveling to places in the Northern Territory. So the Cloncurry Flying School saw a huge intake in just their first week of training. Getting a pilot license is very achievable. You can um, essentially travel anywhere in Australia, um, it's a lot of fun. You can just do it for fun, really. While demand is growing for more pilots in the Northwest, it's also going to save farmers time and money. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A team of marine scientists in Sydney are working to restore marine ecosystems. They've designed special panels that can be superimposed on existing structures. The panels mimic natural habitats and help promote healthy underwater environments. Here's more on how they're doing it. Sydney's famous harbor bustles with human activity, but seawalls, jetties, and piers often have a negative impact on marine biodiversity. So where there used to be a salt marsh or mangrove forest, uh, there's now um, breakwater or seawalls. So the direct replacement and removal and complete loss of natural ecosystems is the most, I would say, dramatic change. Now, a project called Living Seawalls is trying to restore those environments. Under it, researchers created modular concrete panels that mimic natural marine habitats. They can simply be added to an existing structure to create a better environment for marine life. The concept is really simple. So it's really to incorporate missing habitats into these artificial structures. So for example, when you look at rocky shores, you see rock pools and nooks and crannies where organisms can actually use for protection, to shelter from wave and heat and predators. But it's about more than just the panel shape. 
The species of seaweeds and invertebrates living in the seawall panels also have important functions. They're key sources of food for fish and help other species that filter feed, like oysters and mussels. We actually saw an increase of 36% of species compared to unmodified seawalls, seawalls that don't have the living seawall panels. Um, we saw more than 100 species colonizing our living seawall panels. Scientists have just started experimenting with new colored tiles. They hope the seawall concept can be improved further. Each design actually um, favors different sets of species, so that's uh, really interesting. So when we have like a mix and match of the designs, that's when we can maximize biodiversity. In Sydney alone, 11 living seawalls are already in place. Outside the city, the project has placed them in Queensland and South Australia. A few are also installed overseas in Singapore, Wales and Gibraltar. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Musical technology is taking center stage at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona with two new devices. One teaches users how to play an instrument, while the other allows them to create music out of thin air. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. Rafael Ramirez is an associate professor at the Music and Machine Learning Lab at University Pompeu Fabra. He was part of a project to create SkyNote, software that can teach users how to play musical instruments. Sensors feed SkyNote data so it can assess sound quality, pitch, timing, posture, and even the learner's bowing technique. For example, for sound quality, the system, the algorithm, extracts features that are useful to detect if you are playing a good sound, a bad sound, a bright sound, a warm sound, what kind of sound you are playing, and it gives you feedback on that. Ramirez has brought SkyNote to the four years from now section at Mobile World Congress in Barcelona. It's an area where startups like this can network and meet potential customers and investors. And even in a 10-minute session, we were shown that the students practicing with technology improved significantly more than the students without the technology. Visitors were also able to try MicTic One Wristbands, a device that allows them to create real music out of thin air. Movement is transformed into a unique sound with the help of MicTic's wearable wristbands. So MicTic is essentially a, uh, a spatial sound mapping technology, and the purpose of our company is to reshape your relationship with music, right? So when you think about today, you consume music without thinking twice. They believe it's the first wearable device that allows people to truly immerse themselves in music, whether they are a serious musician or someone who just wants to have fun. In a sense, our target market or, or audience, um, the everyday music fan, right? Instead of just listening, we'd love to have you actually uh, be part of the music. And so starting with uh, just really music fans in a sense, of course, the TikTokers, your video content creators, because you can express yourself in a creative way. That's a big part of it for us. The Mobile World Congress is happening in Barcelona and runs until March 3rd. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Novak Djokovic split with his longtime coach, Marian Vida, at the end of the 2021 season. It ends one of tennis's most enduring and successful partnerships. Slovak Vida has been a near constant through Djokovic's career, helping him to 20 Grand Slam titles and an unprecedented 361 weeks as the top-ranked player. The pair parted ways after the ATP finals in Turin, a statement on Djokovic's website said. 
A Croatian who is a former Wimbledon champion joined Djokovic's coaching team in 2019 and will continue to work closely with the Serb. Djokovic lost his world number one ranking to Russian Daniil Medvedev this week after suffering a shock defeat by a Czech qualifier in the Dubai Tennis Championships quarterfinals. Djokovic was unable to defend his Australian Open title in January and compete for a record 21st Grand Slam crown after being deported from the country over his lack of COVID-19 vaccination. Spanish rival Rafa Nadal won the Melbourne Park Tournament and took a record 21st Grand Slam crown in his absence. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.